You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hello, hello, and hello. Welcome to Mosaic Church. For everyone in the room, and especially those of you that are joining us online, if you don't know who I am, I am Alvin Brown, one of the pastors here at Mosaic and lead pastor at Mosaic Church Fort Worth. So real quick, because I know you're going to ask me, how are things going in Fort Worth? So let's handle this all at once. To God be the glory. They're going well. They are going well. He's getting us connected to uh, students there on the campus of TCU. We have roughly about 10 students, uh, six of them which who have given their life, committed their life to Christ this past semester. On top of that, we have roughly about 130 houses in our neighborhood that we have actually touched and invited to a community dinner every two weeks, and we have roughly about 10 to 15 households that show up in any given two weeks. And so God is doing amazing things there in the great city of Fort Worth. And guess what? We could not do it without you all, without your support, without your prayer. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's how things are going in Fort Worth. In other news, we are continuing our current series, Coming Soon to a City Near You, in which we are studying Ephesians and how we are instructed by it to learn how to walk with one another in all that God has called us to be and do. And so today we'll aim to answer the question, what's coming through the church, you and I, into the city and beyond? And so if you will, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which I'm tagging, walking in unity. That's what I expected. Reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it reads as follows, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And let God's people say to the reading of God's word. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul spells out doctrine of Christian faith. What we as believers, as followers marked by Jesus are to believe because of our position afforded to us in and by Christ Jesus alone. But Paul doesn't stop there at what we are to believe. No. If you know anything about Paul and his writings to the early church, Paul was known as what we like to say a therefore 
theologian or pastor, if you will. Meaning Paul was never just satisfied with the teaching of the truth of what to believe without also providing practical instruction for how to live out the truth of what we believe. And so we enter today's text with Paul bridging our position and wealth in Christ as believers to how we should live out this truth as the church to a lost world. So Paul encourages us that the primary evidence that we are walking right before the Lord is that we know how to walk in unity with our fellow brothers and sisters. Or said another way, to borrow a word from the great theologian Rodney King, can't we all just... Uh Uh-huh. You know him too. You know him too, although not a great theologian. But in his own plight, he understood how divisive nature can be in tearing us apart. So can't we all just get along? Well, Paul is urging the church to understand the significance of unity, uniting in our calling and the impact of our actions that it has on the reputation of the Christian community to a watching world. So then, if we're supposed to be walking in unity, then it will serve us well to ask, what does it take to walk in unity? So what does it take to walk in unity? Well, I'm glad you asked. Hmm. In the opening verses of Ephesians 4, you'll see there on the screen, Paul lays out three requirements, what I believe are three requirements for walking in unity, with the first being spiritual balance in our daily walk. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. Did, Did Paul just say that he was once again a prisoner? I mean, last week, Pastor Morgan said in chapter 3 that Paul was saying that he was a prisoner, and here we are in chapter 4. Paul is a prisoner again. I don't know about you, but when I look at that, I go, hold up. So we have a man who is in prison urging us to walk in the manner of our calling, which we have been called. That sounds a little contradictory, doesn't it? He's in prison. Walk this way. But you're in prison. What is really going on? Well, look, I have to be transparent that if it were me, I know me. I know me, it's going to show up. Me going to show up. And here's what me probably would have done if I were Paul in his shoes, rather, chains. I know that I probably would have been writing something like, hurry up and get me out of here as I have been framed. Jack. Just keeping it real. That's who I really would have been. But what I hope to be is what Paul is. Now hear me, hear me. Please hear me in all seriousness here. Please hear my heart that I don't take being a prisoner of the Lord lightly. See, the truth of the matter is that we have brothers and sisters all around the globe. And they are prisoners of the Lord at this very moment, being persecuted, some of them to the very point of death. Why? Because they are walking in a manner worthy of the calling. 
And that's what's expected of us, too. See, Paul, too, see, Paul is writing letters to the Christian church about how being a prisoner of the Lord, devoutly serving in the will of the Lord, see, by walking in a manner worthy of the calling, see, it has landed him physically behind bars. See, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, y'all, look. There are consequences to walking in unity and in a manner worthy of the calling that can cost you your very way of life and very life physically. See, doing what is right in the eyesight of the Lord, see, this doesn't always guarantee us a smooth sailing life free from trial and tribulation. And the church says, so in Paul's word, therefore... What's our excuse for not devotedly serving in the will of the Lord? Walking in a manner worthy of the calling. What's our excuse? See, we mustn't wave in doctrine and our actions. See, Paul's opening line is a a testament to how unapologetically devoted we must be to spiritual balance of what we believe in Christian doctrine and how we live according to a watching world. So Paul pleads with the church in Ephesus, and he's doing the same with us too in the text today, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. But again, why does Paul make this plea? Well, Paul understood this. He understood that we, as believers and followers of Christ, must understand that we didn't find God. We didn't find God, nor did we call or save ourselves for the call. We didn't do that. It was nothing but the divine call of God's saving grace through Jesus' sacrifice. Who called us. That's who saved us. And see, this is, not, this is not the individual call of vocation, no, that we often might refer to when we use the term calling. But this is the call that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 4.2. He's talking about the divine call of salvation. See, in 2 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, God calls us. You can see that God, he called us his sons, his daughters, a royal priesthood. He called us out of darkness of death and sin and into what? His wonderful light. And because God called us, and he calls us his people, what that really means is this. We simply can't walk in a manner that is less than. Nor can we live up to that or beyond it in our merit because we can't. Or said another way, look, we just can't live any old way, y'all. As Christians, we cannot live any old way. So then, how are we to walk if we can't live any old way? Well, Paul says that we are to walk Worthy. This phrase, worthy, is the Greek word axios. It means to describe two things of equal weight. It's the balancing of scales. See, Paul is saying on one side of the scale that there is a scale that, that is doctrinal truths in the calling of Christian faith. That's our orthodoxy. And on the opposite side here, it, on the scale is to be balanced is the practices of those truths, our orthopraxy, and how we conduct our lives with God and with others. See, our Christian beliefs must match our actions of our lives, and the actions of our lives must match what you and I believe in Christ Jesus. 
So when we are walking worthy, we won't simply affirm the truth, but we will equally live and walk in the truth that we have been called and saved to. See, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, therefore, there's that word again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. What is Paul saying? He's saying there ought to be evidence in the life of Christians. Therefore, if you are saying that you have been saved as a Christian, there ought to be a change in your life that's so radical that the only way to describe it is that by the blood of Jesus and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it says, I've been born again, not of my own merit, but the merit of Jesus and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, while I don't have time necessarily today to dive into all the nitty-gritty details of indwelling and infilling of the Holy Spirit, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to personally invite you to our free 99 membership course that starts next Sunday, week three, about the Holy Spirit. Go ahead, snap that picture, go to the registration page and register. All right? Praise God, you can thank us later. Back to your regularly scheduled sermonic moment. There ought to be fruit and evidence of this change in our lives that suggests that we are walking with God and others. So to that end, unity requires spiritual balance in that our Christian beliefs guide how we live with God and others, which brings us to the second requirement that I believe for walking in unity Exemplifying Christ-like attitudes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's what I figured was going to happen. It was going to get quiet. Uh-oh. Christ-like attitudes. How are we looking today when we coming in? Did we have Christ-like attitudes to that person that got our spot? <laughs> and we're going to keep walking. While verse 1 is a general exhortation here of adhering to spiritual balance and walking in the manner worthy of our calling. Paul, he gets specific in verse 2. He leaves us no wiggle room here. Leaves us none. He says, this is how you're going to walk, and here's the evident of fruit in our walk that exemplifies Christ's like attitudes in verse 2 where he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, with patience. Bearing with one another in love, with patience. Bearing in one another with love. No, your internet's not messing up. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Paul is saying that when we walk, and when our walk is worthy of our calling, Christ-like attitudes can't help but to show up. Can't help but to show up. So what are the Christ-like attitudes that Paul says are evident when walking in unity with God and others? Well, in verse 2, he says that when walking in unity, we should walk in humility and gentleness. Now, it's worth noting that humility, this is not a term or the virtue in the day of a Greco-Roman culture that celebrated and prided itself on strength, power and dominance see 
if anyone who didn't subscribe to this ancient culture, they were considered a servant, less than. They had no ability. They were considered weak, weaklings, or said another way, lowly in mind. In this ancient culture, see, humility was not considered a noble trait until a man by the name of Jesus showed up on the scene in what we call hypostatic form. 100% God in flesh. 100% God, 100% humanity. Same time. Hypostatic form. Yet, when Jesus describes his heart's disposition in Matthew 11, 29, check out what he says. He says that he is what? Gentle, humble in heart. Would people say that about us as God's children? Would people say that about us as God's children? See, Jesus, he is the only one with the right to legitimately show up on earth and say everything ought to go my way. But how many of us, don't raise your hands, we walk around and we go, everything ought to be my way. Don't start nudging people. Everything ought to be my way. No, he didn't, but he could have because of who Jesus is. See, no, Jesus was the epitome. He was the essence of humility to show up in flesh as a servant to the point of death on the cross for you, for I, for a lost world. And if this is who Jesus was, then what does this mean for us? And who ought we be in light of his humble gift and the gift of salvation. How might we ought to live? Well, in light of Jesus, we ought to soberly view ourselves in all the more or less lowliness of mind that humility entails. And no, I hear the question, no, and I'm going to answer it, and it's this. Humility doesn't mean that we think negatively about ourselves It just means that when we or anyone else affirms the good in us, our response ought to simply be, to God be the glory. We can't take credit for anything that we didn't save or call ourselves to. And that's everybody. Everybody from the pulpit to the pew and beyond. Everybody, or as my little cousin might say, every y'all. He wanted to make sure he got everybody. Every y'all. And see, because had it not been, this is me personally, had it not been for the Lord pulling me on his side, placing death and sin in its place so that I could stand at the foot of the cross equally, that you could stand at the foot of the cross, that we could stand at the foot of the cross equally with God and with others. See, I have to say, tell me where would I be? Where would I be? We often say, well, I deserve this. Well, here's the truth of the matter. We all deserve death. We all deserve death. And so when I think about that, it makes me think of just how good God has been to me, not only to me, but to my family, not only to the family, but to the spiritual body of family and then to the greater kingdom of God. But as time slips away from me, let me continue on towards our final requirement for walking 
in unity. Paul says that walking in unity first requires what? Spiritual balance. How you live, the orthopraxy, should measure up to what you, we, believe as Christians, our orthodoxy in Christ Jesus. He then says, from there, when walking in unity, it requires us Christ-like attitudes of humility, gentleness, and patience. Finally, in verse 3, Paul says the final requirement for walking in unity with God and others is that it takes diligent effort to keep unity. I figured it was going to be that quiet too, especially when we start talking about it. it's going to take work. It's going to take work. Got to work. Got to bear with one another. Patience. It's going to take a diligent effort. And it says being diligent to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of what? Peace. Now, for those of you tracking along with an eagle eye toward rightly divided word, you likely thought I forgot the second half of verse 2 where it says, with patience, bearing with one another in love, with patience, bearing one another with love. No, I'm not stuck again. With patience, bearing one another with love. No, I didn't forget it, and I graciously thank you for tracking along. Now, that being said, though, what Paul is doing here, and you have to, you have to know this, you have to watch it in the second half of verse 2, he's creating a shift of what we ought to be as Christians to what we ought to do. Or said another way, Paul goes from our Christ-like attitudes to actions. That every Christian walking in unity and in a worthy manner of the calling should be marked by. Paul says that our be must do with patience bearing with one another in love. And this is just one of 59 different one another commands, and I invite you to go look them up. 59 different one another commands that teach us how and how not to relate to one another as we walk in unity. And so Paul is signaling to the fact that with these two verses that biblical unity is a gift from the Spirit of God to be kept. To be maintained. It's going to take work, y'all, every y'all, by Christians, us. It's going to take work, meaning that we were and are not responsible for creating unity. I'm going to say it again. We were and are not responsible for creating unity. But what we are responsible for is ensuring that it is kept in the spirit, in peace, and with patience, bearing with one another in love, and that's all our shortcomings, yours and mine too. Amen? And this, this is just one of the significant differences between biblical unity and world unity, but here are a few others. And so we've already said that biblical unity, a gift from God given through the Holy Spirit that unites believers granting spiritual gifts and empowerment to live peaceably with God and others. And when you juxtapose that to worldly unity based on common interests or shared goals that lack 
foundation of peace that comes from a reconciled relationship with God and others through Jesus. So what he's saying is, if you know Jesus, you know peace. Know Jesus, know peace. Did you catch it? To know Jesus means to know peace. But if there's no Jesus, there's no peace. Some of you, nah, Peter, he got it. He's like, I got that. Some of you will get it on the way home. The second point is puts others' needs above our own. Uh Uh-oh. Treating others with loving kindness and patience. Uh Uh-oh. Versus worldly unity pursued for personal gain, the me and my four and no more. The power, the individualistic attitudes that prevail. Hmm. Lastly, biblical unity is enduring and transformative. It transcends culture, ethnicity, political view social boundaries, and it fosters a oneness amidst diverse believers through our shared faith in Christ. See, with worldly unity, there is a fragile cancel at any moment if Simone Washington says something that I don't like, I cancel her. It's a short-lived endeavor that relies on human and wisdom and human wisdom and efforts. See, seeking to ignore or suppress the differences for the sake of the supposed common good. But see, this is just it. This is the mystery and the beauty of unity as a gift from God and given through the Holy Spirit. And it's this. I don't know if you caught this, but it says, it endures and transforms all Christians. Transcending culture, ethnic, political, social boundaries, and fostering a oneness amidst diverse believers through our shared faith in Christ. A oneness in our shared faith in Christ and in the work of the cross, but not a oneness that requires everybody to conform to the uniformity in sameness. That'd be like me saying for all y'all, every y'all to be Christians, you got to look like a five foot five, dark and handsome young man. Okay, five foot four and a half. Somebody called me on it first service. I'll give you that. No, that's not what's happening. Saying it's our oneness in Christ. We are called to be different. And see, this world, unity... See, the the world will never be able to recognize the biblical unity apart from Christ. Won't happen. See, look, we'll have different paint jobs. We will. We'll vote differently from one another. Let's not get started. We'll prefer different types of sermonic music and ministry. We will. We will live in different neighborhoods, attend different schools. We will be diverse, and the list goes on. But hear me and hear my heart. In all these things and more, they must never usurp Christ Jesus as Lord in our lives. See, for when we do, for when they do, we're no longer walking in unity now with God or others. 
We're walking in the ways of the world who then points back at us and they say, you know what, see, I knew they were hypocrites all along. I'll deal with their God, but not his people. It doesn't work that way. With Jesus at the head and us at the body, when is the last time you've seen somebody's head running around without a body? Exactly, exactly. It has not happened, Lord willing, won't happen here. Little boundaries around this. I know somebody will come up to me, well, back in 19, no. No, no, and no, we're not going there. But in all these things and more, when we walk accordingly to this passage that Paul has elaborately laid out, see, when we celebrate and share our faith in Jesus as the head of his church and us as the body, what that does, that, that levels the ground for all every y'all, to equally stand at the foot of the cross to receive salvation freely. It's what Jesus did for us. And see, that's the good news and how Paul wraps this up in verses 4 through 6 of what is coming, the gospel of Jesus in our walking in unity through the church to this city, Austin, Texas, Fort Worth, El Paso, and beyond. See, Paul says there is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, Christ Jesus, one faith, the Trinitarian head, one baptism, go on ahead and sign up for the membership course next week and you'll get it in week three, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So that there is no mistake about the foundation of Christian unity, Paul belabors the importance of oneness that is birthed through the gift of God through the Spirit for once and for all. And as my grandmother and mother would say as I close, they would sing this song that said, this joy that I have the world didn't give it to me. When I think about unity given as a gift from God, I know this about unity, that it'll take spiritual balance, that we're going to have to have Christ-like attitudes, and that it's going to take dif- diligent effort to keep it. And because of, I know those things in the Christian doctrine, guess what? I know that for biblical unity, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you were the one who birthed unity. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, our minds, our ears, our hearts, our being to what it means to walk in unity, to what it means to represent you. Father, those areas in our lives where we're not walking in unity with you, Lord, surface those, expose those, Father. Grant us your mercy. Grant us your your grace, your favor to walk accordingly, to walk in unity with one another, Lord, in a way that a watching world would come running and ask, what must they do to be saved? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, 
please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.